Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. So I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name tonight that you would help us to understand your book, that you would help us to understand the book of Revelation and, and the final words that Jesus gave. Would you unlock them? Would you help us? Holy Spirit, give us more than a teaching on a microphone. I pray that you would anoint the word of God and it would speak volumes into our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, book of Revelation, session on Jesus' final words to the church. And so uh, we're going to be looking at, obviously, Jesus' final words to the church. But I want to talk about what does that mean? Before we even look at what the words are, I just want us to think a little bit about the, uh, the impact of Jesus having final words and then looking at what those words uh, were is kind of be the, the rest of the session tonight. Um, the, uh, the thought process here is that we're looking at the final words that Jesus gave to the church. Now, we know that Jesus ascended and uh, he gave you know, some kind of parting words there. But then you have this revelation or this encounter with John the Apostle. And in this encounter, John was permitted to see a lot of things and hear a lot of things, including many words from Jesus, straight out of Jesus' mouth, and it got recorded in the Bible. And so while we still know that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today, these are the final words recorded out of the mouth of Jesus that made it into the Bible. These are the final words in the final book. And so this is, this is weighty testimony here. And so as we're just thinking about that, you want to think about the, uh, the, the parting words of, you know, any leader in any, any uh, setting that you've ever seen, uh, you know, where a leader's going to be leaving and not going to be with his people anymore, whether it's in a movie or re- you read a book or, or even times where one of the apostles would be leaving the community and just the things that they would say, there are, there are these tender moments. These, um, they're filled with with importance and destiny. And they're the kinds of things that get quoted later. Oh, you remember when, you know, when they left, their parting words to us were dot, dot, dot. Well, what we're reading tonight is really the parting words of Jesus, because these are the final words that he gave that would be recorded in the scripture. And therefore, they're the final words that we would read that he said, okay? So Jesus... Here, let's, uh, let's now you know, jump into what are these words. Let's, uh, let's read the, the final three little moments that are found in the book of Revelation. It's Revelation 22, 7, 22, 12, and 22, 20. These are the final words that Jesus gave. I'm going to read them, and then we'll kind of chew on them a little bit here. Behold, I am coming soon. So his final words are, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, And everyone who loves and practices falsehood 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. We're going to develop some of the themes here and talk about some of that, but I, I want to just start with this being the final testimony of Jesus to the church. He says this in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, but then also in uh, uh, verse 20, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give this testimony for the churches. Then verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. This is the testimony of Jesus. It's his words. It's, it's him, the, the one that we were always waiting for, the Messiah of the Old Testament that was to come, the one that was going to deliver and, and, uh, and make the kingdom manifest. He's come, and now he's giving us parting words, and he's telling us his testimony. And he, he self-declares it. He says, this is my testimony that I want the churches to understand. I want to give to the churches. Now, we recognize that first and final words are important. They, have, they carry a, a specific, uh, significant value. And when we first uh, started this series and we were looking at the book of Revelation, we spent a good amount of time really diving into the first words in the Reve in book of Revelation and even the first words of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Here we are now wrapping it all up. And I want to give us kind of a threefold final words because this is just... When you put these three together, you're like, man, we really probably should familiarize ourselves with this. These are the final words of the book of Revelation, which is the final book of the Bible, and it's the final words of Jesus. This is threefold final. This is like, this is God wrapping it all up. This is the bow. This is the, the finality of the message, the message of the book, the testimony of Jesus, the book of Revelation. I mean, it's the Revelation is the most intense book. We just get all this together and it's boom, 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 final, final, final that we're wrapping up here. There's a lot of weight on this is my point. So as we now start to look at the themes, we start to develop the trends. What was Jesus communicating? I'm hoping we walk into that with this weightiness of these words carry weight. This, this testimony matters. This is stuff that like we need to pay attention to. And I would just think that probably most of us have not spend much time, spent much time doing a study on the final words of Revelation. I just guess we probably haven't done that much. And so tonight's your kind of your little intro moment because I think that there are layers of things that the Lord wants to communicate to his church through this final testimony. All right. Let's look at some of the key phrases. I am coming soon. Look, he says it in 7, 12, and 20. I am coming soon. Okay, so we need to, we need to get this. As Jesus is giving the church his final testimony, he is driving home the point every time he opens his mouth, the three times he opens his mouth in Revelation 22, every time he says, don't you forget, I'm coming soon. I want the church to carry this like it's real. I want for you to live like this is true. I want you to think about this. I want you to have this on your heart. I am coming soon is supposed to be a key theme for those that love Jesus. I mean, why else would he say it? Why else would he say it three times, the final three times he opens his mouth? Every time he says, I've got some other information I want to tell you, but I'm coming soon and it's important that you know that. The only reason he would want, it that, want that reiterated is so that we would live like it's true, that we would live in light of that. Next, 
Another theme from these final thoughts. He says, my reward is with me. And I give to everyone according to what he has done. My reward is with me. He says, I want you to live like I'm coming soon. I want you to live like when I come, I'm going to reward you for what you've done. I want you to have active faith that actually believes in the second coming and that believes that when I show up in the sky, I'm going to bring with me my reward and I'm going to give it to each one of you. I live differently with the thought process that there's a reward coming in my future. If I do a certain thing or pay attention to a certain thing, I'm thinking about my kids and their allowance situation tied to their chores. It's like they don't get that money unless they do their chores. And so we want them doing their chores. We want them living with the anticipation that you get money if you do your chores. But also, if you don't do your chores, you do not get money just because you continue to exist and breathe and eat my food all week. You get money if you do your chores. And so there's this expectation that Jesus says, I want you recognizing I am the God who rewards. And when I come, I'm going to reward you according to what you've done. I want you living in that feeling, in that mode, in that thought process. Next, blessed are those who, he says it a couple of times here in uh, Revelation 22, just as a little point of order, he uses that term throughout the book of Revelation, but never twice in one chapter, never, never this close together, because uh, I recognize we made chapter v- breaks, but the other five times that he says it are scattered throughout the other 21 chapters, but he says it twice in Revelation 22. This is something he's wanting us to, to get. He's, he's tying this, I'm coming soon, I will reward you. You'll be blessed if you do these things. See, it's actually all part of one narrative. I'm coming, I'll reward you. You want to know how I'll reward you? Blessed are you, you'll be rewarded if you do these following things. If you pay attention to these things. If this is something that's on your heart. First is, keep the prophecy of this book. We spent all of last session developing that term. And then the second is, blessed are those who wash their robes. The idea, when you look at it in the context there, the idea is living in righteousness, receiving his forgiveness, and then walking out in that righteousness, walking in truth, living a holy life. You could really wrap it up into this. Keep the faith and keep the prophecy. Keep the faith of your fathers. Hold on to what you know is right. Give your life to Jesus and then walk it out like it's true. Live in in righteousness. Walk those principles out. Then also keep the prophecy. It's not enough that we just have the book of Revelation. You need to be one that keeps the words of this prophecy that lives like that's true. You could even say it this way. So instead of keep the faith and keep the prophecy, you could say avoid or withstand the harlot's allure in the final generation to give yourself into all manner of sin. Because that's really what the, what the warning is. When you look at the, the context there, we already read it, but when you look at the context of what's being said, it's not just uh, live in righteousness or wash your robe. It's don't do the other stuff. But the other stuff is all the allure of the harlot Babylon in the final generation, which we're told because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold in Matthew 24, verse 12. So the generation is going to be growing cold and is going to be alluring. It's going to be uh, inviting, enticing to everybody, including believers, to give themselves over to every manner of sin. And, and the final testimony, Jesus says, blessed are you if you don't do that. Blessed are you if you hold on to true faith and if you keep this book, if you hold on to this prophecy. The second one is the keeping the prophecy is not giving into the culture's dismissal of the book of Revelation. I just want to tell you right now, 
by and large, Christian culture, in our culture in America, in the West, has dismissed the book of Revelation as really not that important. Don't do that. Blessed are you if you keep the words of this prophecy. And you're not blessed if you don't keep the words. And you can't keep the words if you've dismissed it. I think that the second portion of what Jesus is really communicating here is just like walk in righteousness. Don't give yourself to the allure of the final generation. Don't give yourself into the deceiving statements and into the culture's dismissal of the book of Revelation. Don't be them. Don't do that. Give yourself to this book. Do not dismiss this book as many will. That's pretty interesting that these are ways Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving I got two final blessings for you that I haven't pronounced yet in the book of Revelation. Blessed are you if you pay attention to the book of Revelation, and blessed are you if you live holy in a generation that isn't going to live holy. In jest, that's what it is. And that's Jesus' admonition. This is his final words. He also says this, just if we were kind of wondering, are there consequences for these decisions? He says this, cursed are those outside. He said there's those inside, and then there's those outside. Jesus isn't writing to the lost population. He's writing to the church. He just got done saying, I had the angel come and send this testimony to the churches. It's how he began the book of Revelation, the testimony of Jesus Christ, which God gave his servants so that they might know what must soon take place. It's given to the church, and it says this, outside are the dogs. Who are those dogs? Those that practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I just want to say right now, the, on this list, the one that is the most prevalent and is not called out enough and is not dealt with enough within the church is sexual immorality. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will not go to heaven. It doesn't matter if they prayed the prayer, if they go to church every Sunday, if they're living in sexual sin. I don't mean they sinned and then they went, oh, that's horrible, help me, God. That's, for, that's repentance and forgiveness. That's the kingdom of God. I mean, they said, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing this. It's okay. God still loves me. They're going to go to hell. They're going to go to hell. Jesus' words, final words, church. Those outside, the dogs, the sexually immoral, those that gave themselves over to sexual immorality, and they didn't repent. They didn't care. They made excuses. They said it's okay. We live in a culture right now that has been so inundated with sexual immorality that there are countless numbers of people in the church living in unrepentant sexual immorality, and they're not going to go to heaven. They're going to go to hell. And these are, this is Jesus at the end of his revelation testimony. He says, I need you to understand this is not an area to play with or to dabble in. Friends, we need to warn our friends and our family members that are living in sexual immorality. This is a really serious issue. This is not a, it doesn't really matter kind of a thing. It's, it doesn't matter that you live in a culture that says it's fine. It doesn't matter that you go to a church that says it's fine. You're going to go to hell if you don't repent of this. This is that serious of a thing. And we need to be a people that help our friends and family see that. We need to go after them so that they don't go to hell. I just want us to understand that. Jesus is writing to Christians. And he says, you need to understand there are going to be those inside and there are those outside. And those outside are those that give themselves to these things. And I'm sure in a little bit of time, I could get on the soapbox and harp just as loudly about the other things on this list. Right now, the concept of witchcraft is not that big a deal in the church. 
It's probably growing and it's going to get crazy before this thing's over. But right now, it's not top of the list. But I would say, and murder is not top of the list in, in issues right now within the church. We've seen our fair share over time. But my point is, this is Jesus trying to warn the church. And I really believe it's about the two chapters, Revelation 17 and 18, the harlot Babylon. I really believe this is what Jesus is getting back to because these same sins you find in Revelation 17 and 18, the harlot Babylon at the end of the age, that's going to sing the, the dirge that causes everybody to get into this lull to sleep, compromise, living in immorality, living in sin, living in unrighteousness, calling it Christianity. And Jesus says, no, come out of her. Don't be like that. All right. How about some of Jesus' parting titles? He didn't just give us some phrases. He gave us some titles. Jesus' parting titles. He alludes to being the great I am. I'm, I'm summing up. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's saying, if it is, I am. <laughs> he says, from the beginning to the end, in the entirety of everything, I am. That's when Moses asked, you know, who shall I tell them that sent me? Who shall I, who shall I tell the Israelites that you are? He just says, you tell them I am sent you. I am the great I am. This is the one who is from the beginning. He's the one that knew the end story before he ever invented a human. He knows it all. And I just want to tell you, the one who is great, the God who is over all things, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, he sees everything in every perfect way. This is a title that Jesus wants the church to know as we get into the end times because we are going to need to lean on the one who was first and last. We're going to need to lean on the one who has been from the beginning and he knows the end. We're going to need to lean on this one. We're going to need the God of power, the God who is mighty, the God who is over all things, including the concept of time. The church in the end times is going to need to lean heavily into this great one, into the great I am. We're going to need him because the challenges are going to rise and are going to increase. It's such a dramatic uptick that we will no longer be able to survive life if we don't lean in to the God who is able, the God who is, the God who can speak, who can conquer, who can overcome, who can turn water into whatever. He turns it into blood. He turns it into wine. I mean, he turns water into stuff. God can turn the most natural things and circumstances into whatever he wants. We are going to need to be leaning as we go closer towards the end times and as, a, as the difficulties increase. The church is going to have much need of the God who is over all things. The reason I say that is because right now, this just kind of as a trend, at least in our Western culture, it looks a little different in different places, but in our Western culture, we've gotten so comfortable, we're able to do church without God. I mean, we're able to just kind of go through the motions. We're able to kind of like be Christians without having God break in and change our world, change our moment, change a situation, break in in power. We're able to continue to operate. So people go their whole lives and have never seen God break in. We're coming into a season of time where without the God who breaks in, all that will be left is broken. There won't, be anything, there won't be anything sustainable. We're going to need the God who breaks in. Now, he's always been that, but at least in our culture, we've not been leaning into that. We've been fat and happy and very well taken care of without God doing much of anything. And that's actually kind of a scary place to be, really. 
Next, the root of David. Now, I recognize this, is, this has infinite meaning, but I want to tell you what I think, just as I'm kind of like praying over this and going, okay, Lord, what do you want me to highlight? Here's what I think that one of the things that Jesus wants to highlight. At the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, there was already a significant flip-flop in the sheer number of believers becoming a majority Gentile church. Now, up until this time period, if you give a few decades, <clears throat> believers in God, in, in uh, Jehovah, they were always predominantly Jewish. But I think that Jesus knows, I mean, of course he knows, Jesus knows that in the time period of the writing of the book of Revelation, and for sure the time period as the generations unfold, there is going to become a giant flip-flop of mostly Gentile believers in Jesus, minority Jewish believers in Jesus. Now, what that means is you're going to have an entire, you know, call it a you know, 99% Gentile church that's not thinking about Jewish things, that's not thinking about a Jewish king, that's not thinking about Jewish destiny, that's not thinking about Jews. Now, why is that important? Because one of the most painful studies in the end times is the promised persecution and coming second holocaust on the Jewish people on planet earth. It is a horrific and unavoidable truth in the word of God. When the Antichrist rises, and, and it's not just when he rises, it's in the season of time before that, anti-Semitism is going to rise in the world globally to the greatest height it ever has before. That's what our Bible prophesies, I mean, probably 50 different places in a way that is really, really painful and is going to be very challenging. Challenging who, for who? Well, not just the Jews. Jesus is saying, don't you forget, I am the root of, of Jesse, I'm a Jew. Those are my brothers and my sisters. When they suffer, you suffer with them. I think one of the great statements that's being made here is Jesus actually announcing to the end time church, the Jewish thing is going to become a far more prevalent issue than it has been for you Gentiles in the past, you know, decades and centuries. The Jewish thing is going to get put right up at the front of the end time drama, and you're going to have to make your decisions. Am I willing to stand with Jesus's brothers and sisters, even if it's going to cost me economic success, cost me my job, eventually cost me my freedom, eventually cost me my life? Am I willing to stand with Jews, Jesus's brothers and sisters? Am I willing to stand with them at any cost? This is going to become a significant part of the end time drama and a significant responsibility of Bible-believing Christians. Christians are going to have to start really wrestling with, am I willing to die for my brother? No greater love is than anyone than this. Am I willing to die for Jesus' brothers in order to be able to, uh, to stand for Jesus, to stand for his people? This is going to become a real big issue. So I think there's a lot to be said about that subject, about that, uh, that uh, title. But the one that's jumping out at me at present is how center-focused the issue of Jews needing protection, help, strength, hiding 
they're going to be in the last generation. And Jesus ending this book, which is going to be predominantly to Gentiles because most of the Jesus believing people in the earth are Gentiles. He's saying to all these Gentiles, don't you forget I'm a Jew. And I think that's going to become a really important issue as we near the end. He also says, I'm the bright morning star. A lot that could be said about this too. As I'm just kind of processing here, one of the things that we just got done looking at, I don't know, some sessions ago, was the, uh, the way that in the New Jerusalem, uh, in the coming kingdom age, Jesus is the light of the entire city. It says it doesn't need the sun in the city because Jesus is the lamp of the city. So Jesus lights this whole 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile city. That is unbelievable. You could call him the bright morning star. He is the bright morning star of the city of Jerusalem, of New Jerusalem. Well, in the same way as what he's doing there in the natural, which we will see in the coming age, he's also doing that, pervading the darkness of this age. Jesus often would speak about the darkness. The apostles would then speak about the coming darkness in not referencing the physical light. Uh, sometimes it's that, but most of the time they're talking about the spiritual uh, darkness that's rising. And we're already feeling it. That which is being called good, which is really evil. That which is being called evil, which is being celebrated as good. Uh, I, just, I, I saw the most unbelievable uh, sign just, just yesterday advertised on the side of I-20 in Texas that said, a better morning after pill. And then had a, another, uh, had a, the name of a, of a company, and it was a Walmart sign. Like, Walmart is advertising abortion pills in a state that just said, no more abortion. Close all the abortion clinics. I was like, and it's Walmart, friendly Walmart. Like, oh my gosh, this is really intense. I mean, we're living in an hour where wickedness is being celebrated as good. And good is being just defiled and is being labeled evil and bigotry and hatred. And we're living in that hour. We are going to need the bright morning star to shine brightness, to shine righteousness in the midst of the darkness. That spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might be able to discern our way. The, the knowing what is right and wrong. The, the touch of the light of the Holy Spirit touching us in the midst of a day where we are feeling all of the pressures and ache and slime that is all about us in this generation. We need the bright morning star. We need brightness in the midst of the darkness. And I think that one of the reasons that Jesus left us with that title is he goes, listen, you are headed towards the darkest hour of human history. You are really going to need to learn to fellowship with me and understand me as the bright morning star. You are going to need that. And I think these are, these are some of the terms, well, they're the, the only terms that he gave us in Revelation 22 in his parting words. But I, I think these terms, they're not just like, oh, let's see, what else haven't I told them? Uh, I haven't called myself the bright morning star in a while. I'll throw that one in there. I think these are very intentional parting words of Jesus' terms to the church that we would be able to understand in fellowship. All right? Well, let's end with this. John gets to say some final words. Now, remember, 
The book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus, but John's the one that writes it. So John, he has this encounter on the Isle of Patmos sometime before he writes it down. I don't have that figured out. I don't know that that part matters right now. But some short period of time before John writes it down, John has the encounter. So John experiences all of the book of Revelation, and then he writes it down. My point is he had some time to put his thoughts together. It's not like he was writing the, the final draft while it's happening. There were some things he was like on the ground like a dead man. I mean, you know, he, he was having some real moments there. He wasn't writing all of this down while it was happening. He wrote down the final of what we have now called the book of Revelation, which was actually letter that was written to the seven churches. We've got that after John had a chance to process and get his thoughts together a little bit. So John too, after he's heard Jesus's final words, John now gets some final words. John gets to go, okay, now I'm going to wrap up. Jesus just wrapped up, but I'm the messenger. I get to write it down. I'm going to wrap up. Let me tell you, I just experienced some crazy stuff and I told you some crazy stuff. I've got some final words for you as well. And so this is how John navigates the end. Now it's John's turn. John goes, if you will, he goes, Revelation 1 through 22 is a ride, wasn't it? Everybody's kind of like, whoa, yeah, John. It's quite a ride. He goes, okay, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Whoa. All right. Well, let's break this down. What did John have to say? John's end time warning. He's warning Christians. He says, this is important. Don't ignore revelation. You can't afford it. I warn you to pay attention to this book. I warn you. I just had this crazy encounter. I am now warning you. Listen, when apostles give warning, you want to pay attention, especially when you're talking about the parting warning of the entire Bible. Check that. It's the final warning in the whole Bible. I warn you, pay attention to the book of Revelation. That's intense. Pay attention. Don't ignore it. Give attention to it in a detailed, matter, a detailed manner. This matters. Next, he says, he says, don't add to this book. He says, do not add, if anyone adds anything to the words that are here. Now, let me just give you some thoughts on this. And I want to encourage you on both the don't add and the don't take away, the don't subtract. I want to encourage you to meditate on what is written in the Bible, not meditate on my ideas, and see if you come to different conclusions. That's okay. I just want to tell you as one that's been meditating on these two terms, adding anything, taking anything away, I just want to tell you what I've come to, okay? I think that when we're dealing with this don't add, it's not so much that John is concerned somebody's going to add a 23rd chapter to the book of Revelation. That would be bad. Don't do that. But I don't think that's the primary warning. I think the primary warning is actually that we would not change anything in the book of Revelation to make it mean something that it doesn't. I think that's what adding is in this context. And again, I invite you, pray on that, you know, meditate, 
come up with your own answer. But as I've just been processing, what does it mean to add to the book of Revelation? I think it actually means to make a prophecy in the book of Revelation or a phrase or something mean something that it doesn't mean biblically. I think that's what's actually being communicated. And I think that that's a pretty significant warning because what you want to do, your guidelines, the Bible interprets the Bible. So you don't need a smart person to interpret the Bible. You don't need a theologian to interpret the Bible. You don't need a commentary to interpret the Bible. You need the Bible to interpret the Bible. Now, what you do need is some time because the Bible interprets the Bible only if you know where it's written. And it's a big book. So... The guidelines, as I understand it here, are don't interpret this passage, this prophecy, with a rule book other than the Bible. Use the Word of God to interpret the Word of God, and then you won't add anything to it. You'll actually rightly handle the Scripture. What I see happening over and over in the body of Christ is outside concepts, current events, the cool prophet, the theologian, the commentary are being used to interpret the book of Revelation, and I believe they're adding to it. I believe that's actually what's happening. So I just, food for thought, okay? Second point, don't subtract from it. If anyone takes words away from the book of this prophecy, so don't subtract from it. Again, I encourage you, pray on that, meditate on that. What do you come to as someone that's been studying the book and kind of getting ready to teach tonight? And I'm touching on these two with a little bit of fear and trembling, by the way. What did I come to? When it says don't take away, I think what he means is that we would not downgrade its importance. We wouldn't make less of what is written. We wouldn't lower its stakes. We wouldn't lighten its requirements or make it mean something less than what it says. When it says don't subtract or don't take away from, I think that's what he's communicating. So really, don't change it to mean something it doesn't say. And don't downgrade its meaning to mean nothing or mean less than what is written. It means take it at face value, if, if you want to put the two together. Take it at face value. So don't turn demon locusts into helicopters. <laughs> don't. It's a demon locust. It comes right out of the abyss. That's what it says. And it's real simple. Don't add. Don't subtract. Take it at face value. I think that's what the warning is because I just I want to put your, put your thought process in this, in this space here. Jesus is writing the most important revelatory information to the end time church. The end time church, which will be the greatest number of Christians that has ever lived at any one point on the earth. It'll be the end time church. So the most amount of Christians that there's ever been, he's writing to that group and he's saying, your life is going to get challenging. He says, you're going to go through the book of Revelation. I gave this revelation so that you might know what must soon take place. Can you just imagine how horrendously bad it is for someone to change that prophecy and the church not with clarity be able to hear what Jesus said? It's the most important prophecy. He's like, oh, but, you know, but these guys are, they're adding to it and taking away from it. John goes, let me tell you right now how we're going to end the book of Revelation. Nobody mess with this book. Take it for what it means. It's really important that the end time church understand it. What else? Share in heaven. I don't want to go into the details on this because we covered this in a previous session. But in, in this whole run through of the end of the book of Revelation, I think it's really clear to see several different categories of people. One, those that stay the course with Jesus and they wind up with resurrected bodies when he comes. Two, 
those that actually wind up giving themselves into all manner of sin and darkness, and they wind up going to hell. Three, those that wind up losing their share in the city of heaven, but they don't go to hell when he comes. They show up more or less, they become a resistor. They start off and they have no inheritance in the city of heaven. They do not get to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But they haven't denied Jesus. They're not living in immorality. They're going to be those, limited number I'm hoping, that I believe are going to show up at that moment and it's, Jesus is going to say to them, you've lost your share in the city. And immediately they're going to realize what they've done and they're going to live righteously just like the rest of the resistors. They're going to go for it, but they're going to actually have forfeited their inheritance in heaven. Well, that's what it says. Next, the plagues of this book. Then there's going to be those that they're going to wind up. We're told in Revelation 7 verse 3 that the saints are given a seal and that that seal is going to keep them from the plagues. But Jesus here says, or this is John. John here says, if anyone messes with this book, they're going to wind up enduring those plagues. He doesn't say they're going to die and go to hell. He says they're going to endure those plagues. I think that the seal of Revelation 7.3 is lifted off of them. And they actually die by one of the plagues. And they forfeit their opportunity and their potential to live in the greatest hour of human history, the, the Great Tribulation. I think that what happens is they wind up actually dying by one of those plagues. It's, you have to deal with the verse. The verse says, if you do this, God will send you the plagues described in this book. Those plagues are designed to kill people. But we're told in Revelation 7, 3 that the seal of God rests on the saints and they're not going to endure those plagues. So what goes on here? I think what's happening here, and if you've got a different opinion, that's okay. I think what's happening here is there's going to be people that are going to actually, they're saved, they love Jesus, but they make this most grievous decision to, to lead the body of Christ astray in the most important hour of human history. And they wind up teaching the word of God related to the book of Revelation in a way that actually puts the church in a position where they're not ready for what's coming. And I think they're going to die in the tribulation, go to heaven, have a you know, disembodied spirit. They're there. Their body's down there in blood or whatever you know, an awful thing happened to them. Their spirit's there. And they go, oh my gosh, I just died in a plague. Jesus is like, did you read the end of the book of Revelation? You remember when John gave that warning? He was serious about it. Just be glad you're saved. I am so glad I'm saved. And I think that they'll get to come back in the great, and you know, when Jesus, final, the final trumpet's blown and, and all the saints get taken up, I think they're going to get to come, but they will have forfeited their role in the great tribulation, which was supposed to be really one of the most glorious moments, the glorious moment for the church in human history. I think that's what's actually happening there. Again, if you have a different interpretation on that, that's okay. But I would encourage you to have an interpretation. Because I think default, you'd look at that and go, I don't like what Brad said, and I have absolutely no idea what I believe. Okay, wrestle with that. Don't camp out there, okay? Figure out what you believe, because that verse means something. It doesn't mean nothing. All right, the city found in this book, I just love that John you know, refers to it that way. The tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. There's this, there, I mean, John is alluding to so many different verses and, and chapters, you know, Revelation 4 and 5, the throne room, you know, Revelation 20 and 21 and, and 22, talking about, you know, 
the glory of heaven and, and where the tree of life is and the water. He's describing all this. And he's, he's, he's referencing, if you will, this whole storyline of what he's been talking about, the, the, tree, or, or the city of heaven. And this is John's final words. He ends the book of Revelation like many of the apostles end the epistles. And he ends it this way. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. You are going to need the grace of the Lord Jesus. You are going to go through some really trying times. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus rest on you and be with you in the midst of those difficulties. This isn't just John trying to be like, okay, bye. It's not his okay, bye line. This is John, I believe, with like a lot of emotion and just... Okay, I just gave you this final warning that there's going to be some people that are actually going to hear the prophecy and they're going to mishandle it and there's going to be real consequences for them. And he says, you know what? May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You are going to need it. May the grace of the Lord be with you all. All right, we're going to break up into groups. Luke, how many groups we got tonight? Four groups of seven to eight. Four groups of seven to eight. So uh, who are my group leaders? And he'll be in the back. Caitlin's over here. Luke Cooper, can I get you over here to the corner? And then Luke Fredenberg's right there. Let's get into groups of uh, seven to eight. If you've got nine or ten people in your group, you're probably doing something silly. Chase a couple of them off. Uh, tell them to go someplace else. Get into groups of seven or eight, and we'll have some discussion. So the question is, the warning that John gives at the end of the book of Revelation that we read, how would that apply to previous generations? So the entire book of Revelation... It has this unusual um, life about it because the fullness of its application could not have possibly been experienced by any generation except the last one. But the book of Revelation has been helpful, revelant, and, and you know, revelatory for all generations. But, but, but the, the concept of how, I mean, just to throw it out there, how has all the water being turned to blood impacted past generations? Well, it didn't, but it was, it's the word that is supposed to be forming our framework, forming our theology, forming our, our lifestyle, our conversation, uh, you know, what we believe, we're, we're founding it on the word of God, not on you know, myths or things that we were told or movies we've seen. So we're forming it on what the word of God says. So there's a tremendous amount about the book of Revelation that doesn't have a direct, what do I do with this now sort of an impact. It has rather a theological, like this is what the word of God says. This is the truth. This is the future narrative. Let's get ready for this. Let's think like this is real. Let's train our children because eventually those children's 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 children are going to go through the great tribulation. So the whole concept of the counsel of God being given through the book of Revelation so that the church would be prepared, would have right ideas, would have right thinking. But this warning is specifically applicable to those that are going to wind up uh, having a role in the final generation in teaching these things. And, and uh, you know, it, I guess there, there might be some mysterious, uh, mysterious layers to that where somebody finds themselves... Here's the reason that I, I really believe it's tied just to the final generation. It seems unthinkable to me that someone who's in heaven would get like taken out of heaven to go to the earth 
so they can experience the great tribulation and die of a plague. So it's like, okay. It seems just as unthinkable as someone who's in hell getting to come out of hell, go on planet Earth during the great tribulation and get experience a plague. So I think, I think what we're looking at here is actually one of those narrow warnings that in, in the warning of, oh my gosh, I need to be one that cares about like the truth of the book of Revelation and doesn't mess with it, doesn't change it, doesn't add to it, doesn't subtract. I think that spirit of the fear of the Lord has been, been very applicable in every generation. But the fullness of what's being promised here can't be applied to someone that isn't alive during it because the context and the consequence is specific to being alive during it. So uh, hopefully that helps. But that's not so unusual because much of the book of Revelation, it's that exact same concept that you, you don't need to know about how this is going to happen exactly and what's going to you know, go and what the sequential order is. Just think about how non-important the sequential order is in the daily life of those that aren't going to go through it. But the sequential order of things is really important to the church that's going to go through the Great Tribulation. And so there's just so many of those kinds of details. So I think Andy brings up an excellent point in asking that question, because that is one of the layers of the book of Revelation. In you know, the last session we talked about, it's a prophecy, and this prophecy has got layers to it. It's, it's a bit mysterious, and, and this is one of those aspects. But I, I think, plainly, uh, it has always had importance related to the fear of the Lord on the subject matter and related to the understanding of the theological concepts so that those concepts could be passed down generation to generation. But in the fullness of that warning, you can't, be, you can't go through the plagues of Revelation unless you're on the earth in the plagues of Revelation. Uh, so good question. Okay, over here. So the, um, the question is related to when John says, Hey, here, I got a warning, church. I need you to hear it. And the warning is, uh, everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life. The question is, well, the question that was asked is the disparity between the punishments. And it's like, one in the way that I've interpreted it, as I understand it, is the taking away... Um, here, let me go th slowly through this. The plague described... Uh, anyone takes away the words of this prophecy. So the, the taking away concept, which I alluded to here, is the subtracting, so the, the diminishing, the making the book of Revelation not that important, the, the uh, co minimizing the consequences uh, of the book of Revelation. That consequence is that God is going to take away their place in the tree of life and the holy city, so heaven. So take away, take away, add, add. If you take away stuff, you get taken away your inheritance in the city of heaven. If you add, you get added plagues. That's the, that's the concept. Okay, now before we assess whether my interpretation of these two things is right or wrong, because I'm, I'm open for you to process and come up with a different thought process. I just want you to be forced to do so. My greatest desire tonight was actually to force you into a corner for you to have to look at these verses that are very challenging. And for you, from a biblical perspective, knowing the narrative, here we are at the end of the book of Revelation study, knowing the narrative, what do these verses mean? 
and they're very challenging because one describes plagues added and one describes inheritance in the city uh, pulled. The question directly was asked, why do I think that it would be that those two uh, punishments would be so different? One, you find yourself... Uh, you know, dying in, in the tribulation period uh, from a plague that nobody else was dying from, but then you still come back as a resurrected saint, you get to, you know, live in, uh, in the millennial kingdom. Second uh, is you wind up... Taken away. You, you wind up uh, at the moment of Jesus' return finding yourself not getting a resurrected body, not going to heaven, and you live on the earth as a resistor. Why, those two things seem like, you know, one is worse than the other. I was thinking on that uh, as I was kind of preparing for this, and my answer to that would be that I think that the subject of the, the adding to, I think is a, um, is, is, a, is a less, this just, look, this is my opinion, okay? Is a less grievous evil because what was done in that effort was you were trying as a teacher. I'm looking at this warning mostly as teachers of the book of Revelation. So I've kind of like if I'm stumbling up here, it's because I'm freaked out. Okay. I think that this is mostly addressing teachers of the book of Revelation. Those that are going to instruct. And that could be a mom to the kids or it could be a person to a small group or whatever on a microphone. I think what's happening is when Bible teachers add to it, I think their intention was try to figure this out and, and try to give the church understanding about what's happening here. I think that they just approach it not honestly, according to the word of God. I think what they're doing is they're using their own manner of interpretation. They're, they weren't careful with the details. They didn't heed the warning. Be careful, Bible teacher. Be careful. I warn you. I warn you. They weren't, ta- they weren't careful, but I don't think they were dishonest about it. I don't think that they, were, they had a you know, bad spirit about it. And I think that those that hear those other versions of the teaching, I think are actually still going to be some manner of prepared because they're going to still be thinking about the book of Revelation and trying to figure out how to apply it and that kind of thing. Adding to it. The subtracting, I think, is a far more grievous evil. Because what you've done is you've belittled, you've, uh, you, you've uh, minimized the book of Revelation. You've been like, this really isn't that important. You're not really going to need this. Or if it's important, it's fine. But it's kind of intense. It's not really going to be that intense. You don't really have those real responsibilities. I think it, it greatly decreases the body, body of Christ's ability to be able to navigate what Jesus said. I'm giving you this testimony so that you'll be prepared. It's important. You need this. It matters. So I think that it's kind of the spirit of uh, an effort to try to prepare but not really going about that preparation process through the right manner. And then the other is a dismissal, which I think is a grievous. And so if I had to answer the question about why do I think one is more than the other, that would be my thought process as far as, you know, how I've come to that. Now, and it's possible that we may find that there's a, there's some layer of both of these things because they're mentioned together and it's kind of like one warning. I don't think that that's the case because the consequences are so different. Um, But what I would encourage you to do with this is not believe Brad. I think that would be unhelpful. But I do think it's very important that you look at what the Word of God says and you come to some answers on this. Because if I just had to guess, because I myself was in this category, 
and we've been spending a lot of time on the book of Revelation, I'm going to guess you've never wrestled with this idea not once. And so you've never come up with your interpretation of these verses. You just read them and were like, you know, it's bad. Like, don't be bad. Don't have bad things happen. And never thought at all about what was actually being communicated. So part of my greatest desire tonight was to bring this before us and go, okay, wrestle with this biblically. Don't wrestle with it uh, from your feelings. That, that, that's not going to hold up. Wrestle with it from the word. What do these words mean? Where else do this, does it say this stuff? What are the consequences? What is this book of Revelation about? What is on the line here? Is John, I imagine with a bit of fear and trembling, is writing these final words. Why does he end the book with a warning to the church? Why? Because it matters to the church and the decisions that are made and the ways that the church deals with the book of Revelation is going to be greatly assessed according to John's warning at the end of the book. And so I just, I kind of throw all that out there for you to go, oh. So I just want to encourage you, don't believe me and do not dismiss me. Pray, read, study, and come up with an answer. Uh, Luke? Yeah. So Jesus' final words seem pretty pastoral and uh, mostly uplifting. Uh, I mean, but don't forget, he also says outside are the dogs and all that. Okay. Uh, he says, don't do sexual immorality, you'll go to hell. Um, but Jesus is being pastoral and, and mostly like upbeat, mostly. And John is like jugular. I mean, he is going for it. He's like, we're all going to die. It's going to be horrible. Don't mess with this book, people. I mean, he goes really, really intense. Why is that? I think it's, I mean, don't forget, no human wrote any Bible verse. The Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit is inspiring. And so John gets to be a part of the process, gets to be the human participant. But I think John, as he's processing all this and thinking about the final words of Jesus, and he's walking away, what is my responsibility? What is, I feel like he is just struck with, I've got to warn them this thing really matters, and they can't dismiss it. They can't just write off the book of Revelation. They really, really, really need to pay attention. And so I think it's actually a really great balance point of Jesus says, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And John's like, also part of that reward, you're not going to like it all. <laughs> Just so you know, when he comes, his recompense is with him. I mean, he's like, this is, this is going to be a really intense, you know, scenario. And so, so you, John is like, I think, really giving a very helpful um, uh, other half of the story uh, in relationship to parting words. And so, uh, so I, I'm actually, I'm really thankful for that that balance, you know, those two things that we read within several verses of one another uh, so that we don't wind up overly happy or overly sad. You know, I mean, we, we kind of like got a little bit of uh, balance there uh, to process Revelation, which I think is really the message of the book. This is a very serious, sober book, and it's also the most encouraging, promise-filled book imaginable. It's both and, and so I think we need that wrap-up uh, of both. So great catch. And Luke. So the question is, Jesus is making his list about those that are outside that he's calling dogs, and he gives a list. Why is it this list instead of a different list? Uh, twofold uh, thought on that. One, um, I think these are going to be the most 
because again, he's writing to the church. I mean, that's, that's the message. The book of Revelation isn't written to lost people. Most lost people will never read it or care that it exists. The book of Revelation is written to the church. I think these are going to be the most prevalent that are going to touch Christians. I think these are going to be the things, the challenges in the final generation that are going to be the most like ways out. So Jesus says, you know, uh, you know, in, in Luke uh, chapter 21, he says, be careful or the anxieties of this life, carousing, drunkenness, these things will overtake you like a trap. And he's kind of listing off, if you will, the heartbeat of what's happening here in this same thought process. I think sexual immorality is such an out for people. I think the, the concept of, you know, just, it's just like, I don't know, it's like just such an easy out that people are looking to take as a quick fix, as a relationship, the easy way in relationships, the, the throwing off God, you know, kind of a thing. We live in that culture. So I think that one's probably the easiest, but the list of things that, uh, that we read in Revelation chapter 20, I'm sorry, Revelation verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, is it says, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, bronze, silver, idols uh, of wood that cannot see or hear, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. It's the same list, a little bit amended, but it's the, more or less the same list that we just read that Jesus warns the church about. So what's going to happen in the final generation, this is unthinkable. This is not a world that we can mad, uh, get our head around right now. Murder, literal killing, slaying of people is going to top the list of sins in the final generation, along with sexual immorality, theft, and witchcraft. These are going to be the primary sins of a generation. We cannot get our head around the idea that that would be the case. But in Nazi Germany, there were people that were told, if you rat out your Jewish neighbor, you'll get their house, theft. Also, if you'll participate even in sending them off to concentration camps, if you'll murder them yourself, you'll be rewarded. So we've already seen a little, little micro version of this in history. What we've never seen is the world operating according to these principles. So Jesus is more or less saying, if you will, Revelation, uh, at the end of Revelation, he's more or less saying the system that is going to rise in the earth is going to be so intense and it's going to be pervading even the church. Church, you be real careful that you don't give in to these things. If you do, there will be no one that operates this way. I don't mean did it and repent. We know that principle. If you repent, you are forgiven. If it's genuine. But there are going to be plenty of people that repentance is not going to be on their mind. They're going to go, I'm just going to stay in sexual immorality. I'm just going to stay in witchcraft. The subject of witchcraft is going to rise to be one of the top four sins in the world because it's going to be a partnership with the demonic realm that's actually going to allow people to operate in a demonic realm. Just think about when, when witchcraft and, and demon worship and demonology is ruling the planet, if you operate in that system, life is easier for you. So the world is going to be then longing for an increase of witchcraft in order to be able to partner with the system of the world. And so Jesus is saying, you don't do these things. You're not, you can't do these things and go to heaven. You'll be one of the dogs that's outside. That's how this is going to look. So I think it's a, a great question, Luke, that really draws the attention back to what are the primary sins of the final generation, not just for the lost, but that are also going to be touching the church of which Jesus is saying, don't you give in to those things. Hold the line. Great questions tonight. Okay, so let me just part with this. 
I want to say it again. I don't think it's helpful for you to believe what I say on a microphone. I also think it's equally unhelpful for you to just dismiss it. Don't believe it and don't dismiss it. Investigate it and see if what's, what the word of God says and come to your own conclusion. But don't you dismiss it because I know the tendency when we hear something that we don't like or we don't see, we've never seen before, the tendency is just dismiss it. I want to tell you, be challenged by it and go find the right answer. And what if I'm right? All right, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name for your grace. Help us. Help us. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.